I'm gonna trade my earthly home for a better one, bright and fair. Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears, no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion, mansion, robe and crown. The weather there is always fair, there is sunshine day and night. No cold and no rain will fall there, for the sunshine's ever Good afternoon. Hope you all have had a great weekend and ready to face another week uh, ahead of us. It is Monday, January 22nd, 2018, and today we begin week three of our journey together in God's Word in the year 2018. Uh, if this is your first time joining in on these live Bible studies, we've been going through the book of Matthew each chapter, one chapter a day, Monday through Friday, and today we are in Matthew chapter 11. If you'd like to catch up on some of the previous videos that we've done, you can find those on our Facebook page here, or you can go to our website, loveland.church. I did it wrong. It's over here. I was never a meteorologist. Uh, loveland.church, and there you can find uh, a lot of information about the church that meets here in Loveland, as well as these daily Bible study videos, as well as previous sermon audio as well. Uh, you can also subscribe to podcasts for both of those video options, video and audio options, and you can do so right from the website there. Um, but for today, we're going to get into Matthew chapter 11, so let's dive right in. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. So let's go back here real quick and just look at what had just happened in chapter 10. So Jesus had called the twelve disciples and he gave them the abilities to um, cast out demons, to heal every disease and, and affliction, gave them, gave them authority over unclean spirits, and then he sends them out uh, into this limited commission to the house of Israel so that he could preach, or so that they could preach and basically prepare the way for him. Um, he told <coughs> he told the disciples specifically uh, just to go to the house of Israel uh, and not the Gentiles. So when Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, they were going out and, and preaching and teaching and doing as he asked. He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard uh, in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So John the Baptist is now in prison. Of course, elsewhere in the in the gospel accounts, we learn about John's imprisonment and why why he was in prison and what ultimately happens to him. And we'll get there as we continue this study. But this is the first uh, reference we find of John being in prison, and his disciples come uh, and ask this question. And Jesus answered them, "Go and tell John what you what you hear and what you see." The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. 
This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. As a citation from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. All right, we've we've talked about that before, and that John the Baptist was the one that was guiding uh, or paving the path for the light that was to come. And and this is again as as Matthew is speaking to uh, speaking to the Jewish people in this in this uh, account. And so again, he's bringing up the fulfillment of prophecy to show that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Verse eleven. Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to who, or to what... Shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We play the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So let's go back here. And look at verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is a hopeful statement. This is an encouraging statement because uh, while we could never live up to the the greatness of John the Baptist, the, the greatness that Jesus himself describes of John the Baptist, we know that in Christ, in, in the kingdom of heaven, uh, we are equal. We are all on the same playing field. There is no one, um, you know, there's there's no levels of awesomeness in heaven. Uh, we are all in the awesome presence of God, and we are there together and um, filled with glory and praising Him. Um, additionally, uh, if we get down to um, verse 18, this Verse 18 has caused a lot of questions that have come my way in the past um, and some things I want to address real quick. So, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say to him, or they say of him, that he has a demon. So what does he mean by John the Baptist um, came neither eating nor drinking? Well, when we look at who John the Baptist was and the fact that he lived in the wilderness, John the Baptist we saw earlier, fed on locusts and honey. He wasn't going about having dinner parties with people in the cities. He wasn't going to parties and, 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 and socializing. He was living in the wilderness, fulfilling the call that he was given by God. Um, and so people looked at that and thought, this guy is different. This guy is it's different, and so they thought, well, he he must have a demon. But on Jesus's end, says the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, <coughs> a friend of tax collectors, and of sinners. So Jesus is painting a, a, a stark contrast between he and John the Baptist in, in the life 
that they're living. Jesus is not living necessarily in the wilderness while he does spend much time in the wilderness. Uh, he is homeless, as we looked at uh, in, in our sermon on Sunday uh, from Matthew chapter 8, and that he has no place to lay his head. Um, but nonetheless, we also see throughout Scripture that he is often being entertained by friends. He's often going to homes, teaching in those homes. The the interaction between Mary and Martha, is, and Martha's so focused on being a good host for Jesus that she misses out on the, the, the need to fill herself with knowledge at Jesus' feet. And of course, uh, when he calls Matthew, he goes to Matthew's house with other tax collectors and with sinners, and they are rejoicing on, on Matthew's call and Matthew's um, commitment uh, to being a, a disciple of Christ. And so people look at this verse sometimes and they say, well, it says that Jesus came eating and drinking. And then it says that uh, the people then said that he must be a glutton and a drunkard. So um, tying those two words, gluttony to Jesus eating and then drunkard to Jesus drinking. So some people look at this and say, see, Jesus drank. Speaking about alcohol, Jesus drank alcohol. That's not what this is saying at all. See, what this is saying is that Jesus is around people that are doing these things, and Jesus is eating and drinking publicly. He's not eating locusts and honey in the wilderness, but he is with other people who are doing things that they probably shouldn't be, including gluttony and including drunkenness. But that doesn't mean that Jesus was partaking in it. Let me give you an example of that modern day. If I were to go to a um, restaurant and the people who I go to the restaurant with, perhaps it's friends or, or family or, or whatever, um, they are drinking alcohol. But I'm not drinking alcohol. Uh, but the people around me are drinking alcohol. Perhaps it's a, let's call it a pub. Let's say it's a, you know, a pub that's got great food. I love pub food personally. Uh, or BW3s where we're watching a football game or something like that. Well, let's say pictures go out on the internet, go out on Facebook or something, and they see in the picture that me, Derek the preacher, is sitting at a table and there's beer on the table, so he must be drinking beer. But that's not true. And so the same thing is kind of can, can be applied to this, and that Jesus being around these people, people were associating Jesus with that and assuming that he was a part of that. You see, when they said that, that John the Baptist was doing these things and he must have a demon, it was an assumption that was being made, just as they were making assumptions about Jesus. But yet, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Meaning, we can make all the assumptions we want about people. But do we truly know? And that goes all the way back to chapter 7 and talking about judging with righteous judgment, making the proper judgments, not to be judgmental, to be judgmental, to have a hip, hypocritical judgment, but instead have uh, a, a righteous judgment to be able to look at situations and address situations in a loving and, and, and godly way. And so <clears throat> Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're John the Baptist. It doesn't matter if you're Jesus. People are going to say things about you to try and discredit you, to try and make you to be someone you're not. But ultimately what it comes down to is who you are and what you continue to do even in the face of all that. Because wisdom is justified by deeds. Let's continue. Verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! 
For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And if you want to read more about Tyre and Sidon, that's a good way to kind of branch off your study this week. You can look at Isaiah chapter 23, Ezekiel chapter 28. Uh, Amos mentions it, but I think Ezekiel and Isaiah are, are, are the best ones there. Isaiah 23 and Ezekiel 28 to kind of learn what how Tyre and Sidon uh, mixes into all of this and, and the... You know, the importance of that. Um, but then in, in verse 22, he says, But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, remember, Capernaum is Jesus' center of operations. That's where he's, you know, basing his ministry out of. You, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will You, no, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. <clears throat> now, a lot I think a lot more people know about the, the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in comparison with Tyre and Sidon. That's why I encourage you to go study uh, Isaiah 23 and Ezekiel 28 to look at uh, what Tyre and Sidon, uh, how that ties into all of this. But in terms of Sodom, of course, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Jesus says that if everything that I did in Capernaum had been done there, they wouldn't have been destroyed. So why would it be more tolerable on the day of judgment for those people than it would be today? Here's the interesting thing about Jesus. See, today, uh, and now and in Jesus' day, the Messiah was there. The Messiah was there, he was performing miracles, he was teaching the way, he was showing the way, and, and people still rejected him. He was despised and rejected. He came to his own people and they did not accept him. But those who did believe in him, he gave the right to become children of God, John chapter 1 says. See, if we believe in God, we obey, or if we believe in God, we believe in Jesus, and we obey his commands then we are, we will be redeemed, we will be saved. But the day of judgment for those who walked alongside Jesus, saw him perform these miraculous things, and even in that, dismissed him and said, this, is, this guy is, uh, he is from Beelzebub, he is the prince of demons, as some of the Pharisees had pointed out earlier in our readings. How much more painful will the day of judgment be for them than for those in Sodom and Gomorrah who did not know Christ, who did not have the opportunity to repent as we have today. That's what Jesus is talking about. If we reject him before man, he will reject us before his Father. If we proclaim him, if we accept him, then he will do the same before us. Our Father who is in heaven. Our last section here, verse 25. I find this to be quite comforting. <clears throat> um, I don't know about you, but I love to sleep. <clears throat> My wife would probably argue with that because I make bad choices and don't always sleep as long as I probably should or get as much sleep as I probably should. Um, but nonetheless, Jesus here uh, is talking about rest and burden. Um, so... At that time, verse 25, 
Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is not placing a breakfast order and wanting his yoke easy. Sorry, it's a bad yoke. Um, The yoke that Jesus is talking about here is the burden. Um, So a yoke, when you put a yoke on an oxen, that is what it controls the oxen. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. In other words, allow me to guide you. See, the yoke is put on the, pl- on the neck of an oxen so that the, the farmer can stand behind and control the direction that the, that the, uh, the ox, oxen go. Uh, the, plurals. Um, but Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Allow me to guide you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's not saying that being a Christian is not going to be a burden. He says the burden is light. The yoke is easy, the burden is light. Meaning there's still going to be a burden. As we've seen uh, in chapters 8 and in chapter 10, that being a Christian, is what we talked about in our sermon on Sunday, there is a cost to being a disciple of Christ. And sometimes that means... Turning away from friends, from family, from jobs, from from lifestyle choices that we make in order to follow Christ. And people may look at us and they may think that we're absolutely bonkers and absolutely crazy for believing the things that we do. But guess what? The burden of Jesus Christ is so much less than what the world puts on our shoulders. That is encouraging. That fills me with hope. And I tell you what, Mondays are tough. Just for me, because uh, Sundays are long. Sundays are exhausting as a, as a preacher. You get up and you, you preach t- two times during the day. Sometimes you even teach um, class as well. And it just it takes a toll. Uh, if you've never done any kind of public speaking, um, public speaking for a long period of time, and also just pouring out what you've been studying on for a week or, or more um, is just draining. And then, um, you know, come Monday and it's time to work again and, uh, you want rest. And so being able to read this today and, 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 and glean from this, this awesome truth that true rest is only found in Christ. It's not found in a Tempur-Pedic bed. While those are really nice and, and comfortable, um, they can't give you the rest that Jesus can give. Because while we may worry and be anxious about all the things in the world and all the things that we really can't control. You know, Jesus said earlier, do not be anxious, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, he also told the disciples that when he sent them out on their limited commission. He said, don't be anxious. Don't worry about these things. Don't fear the man who can kill the body, but fear the one who can destroy the body and the soul. See, Jesus takes care 
of our most important need, and that's salvation. He's the only one who can heal the sin-sick soul. And only Jesus can provide perfect rest. That's encouraging. If you have any questions about this study, feel free to pop them down in the comments section of this video. You can also email us directly or myself directly. If you want to keep those questions private, uh, you can email me at minister at loveland.church. I need to make a graphic so that that'll pop up. But you can email me at minister at loveland.church. I'll be happy to answer those questions for you. Uh, and if you desire to find that peace that Jesus Christ offers and the salvation that he offers, we're here to help you with that. We want to study with you. We want to help you understand uh, what the Bible says about salvation, about how you achieve that. And of course, we'll also talk about the cost of being a disciple. It's not a monetary cost, as some may lead you to believe, uh, but it is a cost that uh, comes with repentance. And uh, something we talked about in our sermon on Sunday. And if you'd like to listen to that sermon, you can find that on our website at loveland.church. Uh, and again, you can find a bunch of information there as well. I thank you for your time, uh, for joining in uh, with this study. And if you have any questions that I mentioned, please let us know. Don't hold on to them. Uh, don't let questions do. Get answers for the questions you have. Either find them in the Bible or come to somebody so that they can help guide you through study um, to find those answers in the Bible as well. So with that, I hope you have a great rest of your Monday. I look forward to seeing you all and, and doing this again tomorrow as we look at Matthew chapter 12. And I uh, hope you have a blessed day. Left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion, mansion, robe and crown. The weather there is always fair, there is sunshine day and night. No cold and no rain will fall there, for the sunshine's ever bright. I'll need no heavy garments, I'll just wrap my robe around. When I receive my mansion, mansion, robe, robe and crown, mansion, mansion robe and a crown, holy